Ephesians chapter 6, we are just about, we are coming into a landing with this series, believe it or not, at the conclusion of this month, we'll be landing this thing, People of the Spirit, this series we've been walking through, and in fact, we're getting ready to, to kick off a brand new series at the top of December uh, on Jonah. Jonah, we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah, the story of Jonah, and uh, I'm really excited as I've been preparing for this next series in the Word, uh, as as we uh, as as we look at this together. So keep stay tuned for that. Uh, but Ephesians six, the disciplines of the Spirit are what we've been looking at of late, and in particular this whole idea of living the life of prayer, that we have more than just a prayer life. We live a life of prayer, and there is a difference. Our very lives are prayers, ongoing prayers, as we partner with Jesus, the great prayer warrior, the great intercessor who's always interceding. We live lives of continual prayer and intercession in that way. And so Jesus gives us steps that we've been looking at in the Lord's Prayer as we are familiar with it. We've been looking at that and looking at different steps, a framework that Jesus gives to us. And we finished looking at the Lord's Prayer last week, and we're going to look at just a, a few things now that Paul gives us, Paul the Apostle, in, in relation to this. And so our, our theme this morning is just simply this, persevering faith. We've been looking at different uh, faith steps that, that we are given, and the, the, there's a whole series of them, as you see from weeks past. We're looking at persevering faith today. Would you say that with me? Persevering faith. Say it again. Persevering faith. Prayer path step eight. Ephesians 6 and verse 18. Ephesians 6 and verse 18 in your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, perhaps you're sitting near someone who'll share theirs with you for the time being. Paul says these words, he's, if you're familiar with Ephesians chapter 6, you know it has to do with the armor of God, and Paul has been just unfolding this, uh, uh, every piece of the armor, and we come to verse 18, and he says, pray at all times. In the spirit. In other words, it's not something that's human striving or human energy. It's, it's something that is Holy Spirit energized. Praying in the spirit. It may even involve your spiritual language of, of other tongues that we are given uh, in Christ. We, we, we have that gift afforded to us. All of us do as a as a resource in prayer, praying in that other language, that other tongue, that heavenly tongue. Uh, as Paul talks about in Romans, when we find ourselves in seasons of prayer where we don't know how to express ourselves in our own mother tongue, be it English or Cantonese or Korean or whatever it might be, so there is a spiritual language that we are given to use as a resource Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Are you noticing all these alls? 
There's, there's, there's at least four of them here. With all prayer, with all perseverance, for all the saints, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, I'm going into verse 19 now, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Persevering faith. Praying at all times with all prayer, with all perseverance for all the saints. Would you say that with me? Pray at all times, with all prayer, with all perseverance for all the saints. Let me just uh, give you a, 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 a more expanded rendering of this verse that will help us just get a, a good hold of it in our hearts and spirits. Paul says, pray at all times habitually. Make it a habit in all seasons and at every opportunity in the spirit, that is. I mean, directed by the spirit, energized by the spirit, and sustained by the Holy Spirit. In order to live lives of prayer, we need the Holy Spirit to do this. In every order of prayer and supplication, taking on the armor of God, praying in the Spirit is the way we take on the armor of God as a whole, Paul tells us. To that end, keep your spirit alert and vigilant with all perseverance. We're talking about persevering faith today. Stand steadfast. Stand steadfast. Never off guard. Making supplication for all the saints. The Latin is una sancta. It means all the, the one unit. There's one unit. All the saints. This is God's whole new creation society. One army standing against one other army. All the saints stand as a unit. Turn to somebody and tell them we are a unit. We are one unit. We're not a bunch of lone rangers. We're not a bunch of individual mavericks doing our own thing for the glory of God. Hallelujah. Praise his name. We are a unit. Una sancta. All the saints stand as a unit. None stands alone. See the full force of that. We stand together. One of my fav all-time favorite movies is the movie Gladiator. I don't know if you've seen it or not. I have lost track of the number of times I've watched that movie. It's one of my all-time, and of course... It stars one of my favorite actors, Russell Crowe, who plays the lead character, Maximus. There are many favorite moments in this movie for me, but one of them is the gladiator-barbarian horde battle scene that happens in the Roman Colosseum. And as they stand in the center of the Roman Colosseum awaiting their destroyers to come bursting through the gates all around them, not knowing what is on the other side of those gates and what is about to break through and seek to overtake them. Maximus tells his team of warriors as they're all standing huddled together in the middle of the Colosseum, 
He says, whatever comes out of those gates, we've got a better chance of survival if we work together, not as individuals. He asks, any of you ever been in the army? And one of them responds, and he says, you can help me then because you understand that we have a better chance of victory here today and survival if we work together. The key words are work together. Say it with me, will you? Work together. Do you understand, Maximus asks them. We stay together. We work together. We survive. We don't. We die. It's a powerful moving scene. One of the many in that movie. And this is what we see here in Paul's words. Una sancta. One unit. God's whole new creation society. His whole army standing against one other army, all the saints, none stands alone. And, I, and we, we need to see the full force of that as we look at persevering prayer. The thought so often met today is far from Paul's mind that if only I myself stand, or if only my congregation stands, I'm satisfied with that. That's not what Paul is saying. We're one unit. We all stand together, not just us as a congregation, but the people of God all around the globe. As we stand together, this is an interesting metaphor even on this Remembrance Day as we remember the, the, the armies who gave and stood together on behalf of our nation. The unit is one, and this introduces us to a whole new dimension of prayer. Prayer and supplication for self is to be intercession for all. It's not just about me, myself, and I. It's about all of us. This is our code of conduct. This is the code of conduct when it comes to persevering faith. There's a, there's a sense of mystery that will always remain in living the life of prayer. Nobody quite knows exactly how prayer works. There's not one of us in this room today that could sit here and say, I've got this figured out. I know how this works. None of us know exactly how it works. And this not knowing exactly how it works seems to be part of the point with God. But even so, it remains a deeply practical way for us to live. One of the great church leaders of the 20th century, Archbishop William Temple of the Church of England, declared, whatever else one might say about whether prayer worked, he had noticed that when he prayed, coincidences happened. And when he stopped praying, the coincidences stopped happening. Mysterious. It's, it's like a great golfer who when someone accuses her or him of being lucky, they agree, but they comment that they notice that the more they practice, the luckier they became. Mysterious. There's a mystery. A mystery to prayer. And it's God's intention that it remain that way because it's a it's a God-authored thing. Imagine an eagle with clipped wings. 
Imagine a great ocean-going liner stuck in the Sahara sands. Imagine a basketball player with their ankles tied together. Imagine a railway locomotive in a plowed field. This is the people of the Spirit without persevering faith in living the life of prayer. So due to the importance of the idea presented here in this text at hand in Ephesians, and because of the false images surrounding a key word to understanding these words of Paul, I want to invite you today to study with me this matter of perseverance. Would you say it again with me? Perseverance. In this text that we have open in front of us, the word means steadfastness, persistence, constancy, and continuing much time in prayer. It fits very well with this whole idea of living a life of prayer. Nothing less is suggested to us here than that the life and strife of the people of God be one great prayer to God. The life and the strife of the people of God, the people of the Spirit, be one great prayer to God. This idea is clear, and it should be readily understood by us. However, the concept of perseverance is still often twisted and distorted in some people's thinking to mean something other than simply keeping at it. Some mistakenly view persevering in prayer as a gutsy, grit-your-teeth, I'll hang tough until God finally hears me and does something. Persevering. That kind of exercise. They misunderstand perseverance and persistence. And in misunderstanding it, it can also breed a sense that it is a complaint about our state of affairs. Perseverance is, God, I've been praying for a long time. Can't you see where things are? I need help. I need it now. And I'm tired of waiting. One view supposes that perseverance has to do with earning an answer. The other supposes we can or ought to bully God. We bully him enough to finally give us what we want. But heaven really doesn't need this exhortation and ultimatum from us. God is never passive. I'll say that again. God is never passive. The Holy Spirit is never static. I want you to see that the Holy Spirit is always moving, always in motion. We see it from the very beginning in Genesis when the first, the first time we see the Holy Spirit in the Bible, He's moving over the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit is always moving. God is never passive. Though you may think nothing is happening, the Holy Spirit is moving and working. You may not see it, evidence of it, 
but he's moving and working. Even so, the idea has somehow evolved that perseverance in prayer is needed in order to somehow gain God's approval or somehow to win his interest. Curiously, two of Jesus' parables have been misused to support this distorted idea. Both have been used to preach humanly energized forms of persistence or perseverance in prayer. But to draw that idea from these stories that Jesus tells is to violate the very stories themselves. The lessons intended by Jesus with these stories, these stories that he tells us, are actually to beget in us, to birth in us Holy Spirit boldness and assurance when we pray to ask freely and to expect greatly, trusting that God is working and he knows what he's doing. The first story that Jesus tells us that is so misused is found in Luke 11, verses 5 to 8. You can turn there in your Bibles if you wish, Luke 11, verses 5 to 8. It is on the screen for us as well. I want us to read this together, if you will, lift your voices with me. Nice and loud, let's declare this, will you? Jesus says, suppose one of you has a friend, he said, and you go to him in the middle of the night and say, my dear friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey and has arrived at my house, and I have nothing to put in front of him. He will answer from inside the house, don't make life difficult for me. The door is already shut, and my children are all in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Let me tell you, Jesus says, even if he won't get up and give you anything just because you're his friend, because of your shameless persistence, he will get up and get you whatever you need. Now, Jesus didn't intend what I'm about to describe to you this morning. But I have heard this passage explained as though he meant to say this. Listen closely. Who of you is in bed at night when a friend comes and beats on the door until broad daylight? Finally, you stumble out of bed and say, okay, 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 if you're going to beat on the door all night, then I'll get up and come down. So beat on God's door until you get what you want. Hallelujah. (laughs) And this distortion suggests a picture of God as being pestered and nagged and bothered and bugged until he blesses us. We're just going to bug God. We keep bugging him. Just keep bugging God, pestering him. You know, like, like good old Winnie Churchill used to say, pester, nag, and bite. We're going to pester, nag. And, and, it, and, and this is the idea we have of God. We just keep pestering him and bugging him and nagging him. And we're going to use real bugs, and we're going to bug him real good. And finally, God's going to give us what we want. But the perseverance that Jesus taught doesn't have to do with this unrelenting beating on the door in prayer until God is irritably awakened to our needs. 
Rather, here's the picture Jesus gives us. Jesus says, who of you has a friend whose relatives unexpectedly arrive at the night, in the night and there's no food sufficient to feed them after their journey and now they're at your door knocking at a late hour and asking for your help. If this happened, would you say to your friend, just keep beating on the door. I'm not really interested in you or your situation, but I'll wait and see. If you keep pounding long enough, I might help. Jesus says, of course you wouldn't do this. You see, Jesus, here's what you need to understand, what I need to understand as we read these passages, these stories that Jesus tells. Jesus is teaching by contrast here. He's contrasting to show us what the heart of God is really like. He's showing us what does not happen with us or with God. If a person knocks on your door at 3 a.m., you may not appreciate being awakened, but you're not going to get up and say, bug off! At least I hope you're not. (laughs) Can't you see the time? I don't need your wake-up call at this ungodly hour. No, Jesus says. Instead, as the Scripture says, you will get up and give him or her everything they need. Beloved, our Savior is saying something we all need to know about God and about how God feels when we ask him for things that we need. He doesn't mind. It's that simple. Turn to somebody and tell them, he doesn't mind. He's not bothered by you. It's the lesson Jesus means for us to hear. So we'll persist in asking continuously with persevering faith. Jesus presents this picture precisely to counter our human tendency towards hesitancy to feel that, well, my problems are too small to bother the Almighty with them. Jesus says, no, they're not. In the New Testament Greek, persistence is anaideia, is how it's said. In the, the prefix of this word an, anaideia, an, negates the related word to this idos. And I don't want to overwhelm you with technicalities here, but I want us to see that this word means modesty, courtesy, reserve, or propriety. In other words, the friend's persistence in waking somebody up in the middle of the night is a kind of unreserve, a challenging of social propriety. The asker didn't get his answer because he beat on the door until his fists were bloody, but rather because he or she had the boldness to ask a friend at night and to directly relate a need to them that they had. And the nature of their relationship, their friends, 
Jesus says, which of you would go to a friend? The nature of their relationships, it's a friendship. That is what emboldened him to go and say, hey, I need help and I need it now. Jesus says, that's how you're to understand this story. Friendship with God says that He is never bothered when you come to Him with any need that you may have. And as you continually present and persevere in putting those needs before Him. So, so Jesus is saying this, you have a friend in heaven. Hello? You may feel like you don't have many friends, but you've got a friend in heaven. Turn to the person beside you, your neighbor, and say, you've got a friend in heaven. Hopefully you've got a friend in me, too, but you've certainly got a friend in heaven. You've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in heaven, Jesus says, and you don't need to be hesitant about asking him. You don't need to be apprehensive or bashful. You don't need to go through some ceremonial routine or ritual. You don't need to, to worry about asking or being appropriately reverent when you ask. You, you don't need to, to go through any of that stuff. You don't need to jump through hoops and carry out some religious protocol before finally your friend will hear you. He says, just ask. If there's a need, get at it. You don't need to be cautious in your approach. You, you, don't, you don't need to be that way as you approach His almightiness. Exercise childlike boldness. Loved ones, be done with the idea that God is nervous that you might ask something outside His will. And with such energy that you will bother Him, forcing Him into something He doesn't really want to do. It's not going to happen. You're not going to bother Him. He can handle whatever you have to ask. Come boldly. He's saying, be bold. Don't be afraid to ask. Ask me anything. This is persevering faith. Persevering faith. The second story Jesus gives us along these lines, a parallel concept is in Luke 18. You can turn there if you wish, Luke 18. Beginning at verse 1, it's on the screen for us as well, and I'd like us to read it together if we can. Lift your voices with me, will you? There was once a judge in a certain town, he said, who didn't fear God and didn't have any respect for people. There was a widow in that town, and she came to him and said, Judge my case. Vindicate me against my enemy. For a long time he refused, but in the end he said to himself, it's true that I don't fear God and I don't have any respect for people. But because this widow is causing me a lot of trouble, I will put her case right and vindicate her so that she doesn't end up coming and giving me a black eye. Now, before we go to Jesus' conclusion, let's just get a clear picture of what's going on here in this story that Jesus is telling. 
This was a corrupt judge. Okay? He didn't care about God. He didn't care about people. I don't even know why he was a judge, if that was the case. But he, this, is, this is the story that Jesus gives. He was corrupt. He didn't care. He had no respect for God or people. He had no respect for either divine justice or earthly justice. Didn't care. But he still takes action in the interest of this widow because she keeps coming to him, asking that her case be handled. His motive is not justice for her. His motive, hardly a noble one, is that he is tired of being bothered by the woman. Okay, do you have that picture now in your head? This is the picture. Now, Jesus is making the judge out to us this way so that we will ask the question, is Jesus making the judge parallel to the Father? Obviously not. Of course not. Again, this is a lesson. Understand this. This is a lesson in contrast. Jesus is teaching in contrast here, and it's important that we see this. Jesus is showing the opposite of the way things are with God. He gives us a contrasting picture so that we clearly see that's not what God is like. Yet, how many times have we heard otherwise? This story, again, has been interpreted as though the bride of Christ is like the widow. A woman with a tough case who can only get God, the judge, to act by persistent griping, complaining, and grief. But Jesus means to show us instead God's readiness, not His reluctance. Christ's prayer message is th in this passage is that we should expect God to take action and expect Him to take action quickly. Look at the conclusion. Re in fact, read it together with me, verses 6 to 8. Lift your voices again. Well, said the Master Jesus, did you hear what this unjust judge says? And don't you think that God will see justice done for His chosen ones who shout out to Him day and night? Do you suppose He is deliberately delaying? Let me tell you, He will vindicate them very quickly. Jesus points up the contrast between our Father in Heaven, the just judge, and a disgustingly uncaring, inconsiderate, unjust human judge. And he says, that is not what our Heavenly Father is like. So, what then is the concept of persistent, persevering faith? Perseverance, according to Jesus, is not the desperate expenditure of human energy as though we are to sweat and labor long in an attempt to see heaven disposed in our interest. Nor does He show us a God waiting in the wings to see if we're really sincere and serious. And after we have squeezed blood from the bedposts in frantic prayer, He will finally relent and say, okay, now that you've proven yourself sincere, I'll do something. 
This isn't God's way. Instead, the essence of perseverance and persevering faith as the people of the Spirit is recognizing that there is no situation to which you need capitulate or surrender. God is ready. He is moving. He is working. And ready to do so on your behalf and mine, on our behalf together. You can always ask your friend in heaven, your heavenly Father. He will hear. You have a just judge on your case. He's on the case. Turn to somebody and tell them. He's on the case. He's on the case. Whatever your case is. You know what your case is today. Maybe you've got more than one. You know what your case is. God's on the case. Continue to boldly come to Him, your friend in heaven, your heavenly Father, and bring this to Him. Continue to do so. He's not bothered by that. You don't need to sweat and toil. You don't need to grunt and go, Oh, God, already. you don't need to squeeze blood from the bedpost. You don't need to do any of that. Just continue to persevere and come boldly childlike before Him, bringing these things. God's on the case. He's on the case. He's on the case concerning your matters of health. He's on the case concerning your matters of finance. He's on the case at work. He's on the case regarding your children and mine. He's on the case. And he'll act quickly. Yet, please listen, dear friends. Sometimes... As we all know, this to be true and real in our lives, sometimes the answers do seem long in coming. Yeah? And when that happens, we must know that it does not reflect heaven's disinterest, it does not reflect God's passivity. He is not passive. Sometimes there is required what seems like a long period of Holy Spirit labor, a period of spiritual travail before we see the birth of what we have been expecting and anticipating. How many know what I'm talking about? The seeds of persevering faith that God has put in your spirit regarding the different matters of your life. As they develop and they begin to impregnate you, if I can continue on this metaphor, you carry that thing with you. You carry it, and it must be carried to term. Otherwise, it could be stillborn, it could be premature, it could, we carry it, we carry it with us. Those mothers in the room know this metaphor. There's a period of travail before we see the birth of what we have been expecting and 
anticipating. And this is why we need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our persevering faith prayer partner. The Holy Spirit is like our prayer paraclete is the Greek word. He's our advocate. That means he comes alongside us. He's our helper who is called alongside us. He's our spiritual midwife, if you will, who comes alongside us and guides us through the season of persevering faith and travail in prayer, laboring in prayer, laboring in the Holy Spirit. Laboring in the Holy Spirit is not the same as the sweat and toil labor of the human flesh. And he comes alongside us with arms around us and continues to guide us and navigate us as a prayer partner. Isn't this beautiful? You have a prayer partner in the Holy Spirit. But be certain, the promise will be born. Brought forth in God's way and in God's time. We may think it's a long time, and what may seem long on the earthly side of things is often but a moment in the kingdom. Because our God supersedes time. He stands outside time. He doesn't live by watch and calendar the way you and I do. So we must be patient and we must trust. Persevering faith is needed. Persevering faith has nothing to do with your ability or my ability, or your self-confidence, or mine, or your talents, or strength. Persevering faith has nothing to do with that. I like the way Thomas Merton puts it. Thomas Merton says, self-confidence is a precious natural gift. It's a sign of health. But it is not the same thing as persevering faith. Persevering faith is much deeper. And it must be deep enough to subsist when we are weak, when we are sick, when our self-confidence is gone, when our self-respect is gone. I do not mean, Merton says, that persevering faith only functions when we are otherwise in a state of collapse, but true persevering faith must go on even when everything else is taken away from us. Only a humble person, he says, is able to accept faith on these terms so completely without reservation that they are glad of it in its pure state and they welcome it happily even when nothing else comes with it and when everything else is taken away. Persevering faith remains. It stands Persevering faith is not a humanly energized insistence. 
that God see our sincerity, our striving, and our straining, or that we try to move God to action. He doesn't act on the basis of our human zeal, beloved. But rather on the basis of our humble, spirit-filled, childlike faith and his changeless love. You see, that's why Jesus opposed the zealots of his day. The religious zealots who thought that Jesus was the, the Messiah. Who'd, now he's, we're going to overcome Rome now. And Jesus says, no, that's not my way. I'm not, I'm not about the, the human zeal and the sword and the, all that. I'm, I'm a, the way of the kingdom is different than that. It turns that on its head. How many know God doesn't need to be moved or manipulated into action? Hello? We need to stop doing that. We need to stop doing it with each other. We certainly need to stop trying to do it with God. He, he does not move by our manipulation or our coercion. He's ready now. But to move mountains and make ways in this world often involves a season. So worshipfully wait while heaven's bulldozers are at work and find that the mountain is disappearing a truckload at a time. Hello? My commute every day right now involves a lot of road work that's going on. They're doing a lot of road work on the Lougheed Highway, on the Haney, all that, all this road work. And it's, it's slowed down my commute. My commute has been extended as a result. And I want you to know I get a little tired of that. I mean, know what I'm talking about. It's a picture for us of the persevering faith. Seems to take forever. Don't we complain? Oh, we complain. But once it's done and we're driving on that nice, smooth asphalt, you ever notice we don't say much about that? Boy, we cruise along, but we don't say, in comparison to the complaining we've done, we certainly don't, oh, this asphalt's nice. Low and slow, you know, on the old Cars movie. We, we, don't, we don't say, it's just like, it's like, oh, finally it's done. We're, and we, that's all we say. It's a slow process as God's bulldozers are working at times. And what seems long to you and I on the earthly side of things is just but a moment in eternity. God is working now. He's ready now. He's moving mountains a truckload at a time. And as with the birthing process, so prayers, labor, and travail in the Holy Spirit often involves times of contraction and expansion. Contraction and expansion. Maybe you feel like you're in a season of contraction right now. During that season, whatever season it is that you're in at this moment, don't give up. Don't give up. If I can channel Winston Churchill again, never, never, never 
never quit. Onward. <laughs> the old British bulldog. I love him. Don't give up. Persevere. Persevering faith. Breathe in the breath of God. Breathe it in right now. Hold forth boldly in the Holy Spirit and praise fully to see heaven break through with new life and victory in this world, in your world, in my world. Even if time transpires and passes, the mountains will move. And even though hard labor may continue for a night with tears, joy will come forth in the morning. This is persevering faith. Persevering faith. Would you say it again with me? Persevering faith. Stand together, will you, as Philip and the team come? persevering faith. I want to invite you in this moment to very deliberately tune the ears of your spirit into what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And just simply by saying, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in this? Holy Spirit, what is it that you want this to look like in me, persevering faith, in my situation, in my circumstances, in my life. And I, I, I want to invite you to take all of those cares, those concerns, whatever they may be related to work, business, school, family, vocation, children, finance, whatever they are, your health. I, I want you to, as, as it were, gather those things up in the Holy Spirit and lay them before Him again in childlike boldness today and in persevering faith 